and welcome to a special episode of Stolen Droids Presents. I'm Schmitty. I'm Zoner. And I'm Zook. And we are here live at Salt Lake Comic Con, downtown Salt Palace in Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, for the inaugural Comic Con. It is Thursday. They've just opened the doors to the VIPs. And we will be recording over the next three days. So unfortunately, you will not hear it live. <laughs> and hopefully we'll get some good interviews for you. Yeah. A special thanks to Dan Farr and Dan Farr Productions for setting us up here. Uh, we had to move booths, so uh, if you're over at J12, hopefully you got our note. But uh, we will be bringing you many a uh, video, many a picture, and many an inter- interview. That's so. the hope, anyways. <laughs> we'll see if we can get some for you. All right, so... Uh, again, Comic-Con has just started off, and uh, we haven't really had much of a chance to do much here. However, I've already booked our first uh, guest uh, and autograph. This is a, actually a very elusive person here at Comic-Con. He doesn't even know he's here. Who? He doesn't know he? Schmitty, I need oh. you to see if you can <laughs> autograph uh, Absolutely. Your, your album here. This uh, album that's over... 15 years old now? <laughs> few, people, few people know. Schmidt actually, um, at one point, was a concert pianist. Don't don't autograph the... You do the booklet, man. You don't do the, the actual jewel This case. is my first signing. I don't know what to do. <laughs> I'm right here? here? Sure. <clears throat> right over your face. Yeah, that's... <laughs> and here's the signing. Awesome. I now actually have autographed uh, music. That'll be worth money someday. Yeah, like, exactly. How, how long has it been since you played? <laughs> All right. We have uh, people bringing in their kids and yeah. passing it on. That's awesome. Pass on the geek. <laughs> it's contagious. All right. Uh, we are here uh, honored, really, with uh, Kevin J. Anderson. Kevin J. Anderson is a sci-fi fantasy writer of much renown. I was very excited when you were announced that you're going to be a part of the show. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. And we won't have you list the books because that might take the whole length of the podcast. But Star Wars and X Files and Dune books and my saga of Seven Sons and written for Batman and Superman and Justice Society and well now I'm listing them all. But one of the really really cool ones uh, is a book I did not too long ago called Clockwork Angels, which is the novelization of the new steampunk fantasy album by the rock group Rush. So I worked with them to come up with a fabulous little story that's won a bunch of awards and I just have my own geek out factor by doing that. That that would have to be the ultimate crossover I think. Yeah, so are you a big Rush fan then? Or? Oh, I've been a big Rush fan since since high school. I mean like 77 or something like that and I've known Neil Peart, the drummer, since for about 25 years so this was a project that we've been wanting to do for a long time and it finally came out so it we're just delighted with how it came out. The book looks gorgeous. I think the story is one of my very very best, and um, I get to show off my nerd factors by like waving this Rush book around. That is that is awesome. Now, now you, I, I already had you, you sign it. I kind of explained it to you, but the, your books, uh, the Jedi Search, Champions of the Force, that was my first entry into the expanded universe of Star Wars, uh, and it's really what kind of set me off. That yes, this is something I want to read more of. That trilogy, I probably poured through more times than any other book in my collection, and literally when. When you were announced as part of the con, I went and took apart my bookshelf to find it again. Kind of pissed my wife off. It's all over our floor now. <laughs> Just to find your book so I could get it signed. So Well, that'll teach you for not keeping it up front and center at all times. I right? know. <laughs> Curse you, Star Wars. Why do you have to start with an S? You're so far down on the list. Now, 
I was going to say, you have all your stuff here, too. So, well, not, I, well I, I, I have a lot of the titles. I've published a total of 125 or so books, so I didn't want to ship every one of them out, but I've got a lot of my big popular ones and some of the ones that I really want to show off, and I'm just kind of standing here, and the doors have just opened minutes ago when we're recording this, but I'll be here like three days in a row just meeting fans and signing their books and getting pictures taken and talking to people. Now, can you tell us about any upcoming projects you have or anything we should look out for on the horizon? Well, the one, the one I really want everybody to look out for because it's just so much fun for me to do. I have a series of humorous horror mysteries that feature Dan Shamble, zombie private investigator. And they're like laugh out loud funny. He's a, he's a zombie. He's back from the dead, but he's back on the case. Uh, he's solving crimes with vampires and werewolves and ghosts and mummies. And um, So far we have three books out and two short stories. The, the books are Death Warmed Over, Unnatural Acts, and Hair Raising. And I, in fact, on the flight here to Comic-Con this morning, I outlined most of book four in the series. So I had a really good flight laughing and giggling all the way. Because these are, they're just so enjoyable for me to write. They're about, um, like there's one, one case where a mummy comes in. And he wants to, he's suing to be emancipated from the museum because he's a person, not property. And uh, there is uh, two, two witch, witches, they're sisters, and they tried to run a love spell, but it went horribly wrong and turned one of them into a big fat sow because there was a misprint in the book. So they're suing the publisher for not running a spell check before releasing the volume. And it's just, and he solves cases and he's got to figure out who killed him because he doesn't know who murdered him. Uh, and it's a series, you've got a ghost for a girlfriend and a bleeding heart human lawyer who wants justice for the monsters and she's his partner and um, it just three books so far and I just had a blast all, all through them and the fans seem to love them so if you've if you've liked you know, there's not a whole lot of crossover with Star Wars I guess but if you like the good fun adventures enjoyable things uh, check those out that's definitely up our alley too I think that sounds very very Monster Hunter very Dresden file very, only very Monster Hunter in fact I was just with Jim Butcher all last week at a Dragon Con and uh, Larry Correa gave me a cover quote on, on one of them book two or something like that so he loves the series so if we just get all of their fans put together to go and buy these books then I'd be happy well that's that's a lot of our audience actually Larry's been on the show we love him so uh, Stolen Droids listeners make sure you go out buy the buy the books you can find them uh, Amazon and at wordfire.com is that right um, right and just any bookstore they're all widely distributed and the first one's called Death Warmed Over so check that one out excellent yeah, wow. I, I actually have a question about some of the Star Wars books you did you did that Tales from the Most Icely Canteen at yes. Java's Palace and Bounty Hunters Bounty Hunters yes See, I even know my own book. I remember that. <laughs> those, those are actually some of my favorite books out of all of the Star Wars expanded universe. What was that like for you to go in and see, okay, well, this guy had a half a second of screen time. Let's do a big backstory on him. Or, you know, there's this particular Jawa. Let's do a... Let's do a story on this Jawa. What was that like for you? Well, early on when I was working with Lucasfilm, I was up at Skywalker Ranch every month because I was uh, meeting with other people, and I was working with the artist Ralph McQuarrie on a big art book that we put together. Um, and I did a... I was in the meetings with the Lucasfilm people and with Bantam Books, and they wanted to do a 
short story collection, so other writers would be writing short stories. But then they were going to give up on the idea because it was just too hard to do continuity with 30 different authors coming up with new Luke Skywalker stories. So I suggested, hey, why don't we just do a collection of all the stories from the cantina scene, because they just have a little bit of screen time, but everybody wants to know the story of, of the band and of the bartender who hates droids and the guy who has the death sentence on 12 systems and and Greedo and why Greedo is or isn't such a bad shot depending on which version <laughs> of the movies you see. Uh, and they loved that idea so then I went around to other Star Wars authors like Dave Overton and Timothy Zahn and, and uh, some other people that I've been working with and we put that story together. We had this this outline and some background from West End Games who had done a role playing game based on Star Wars before Timothy Zahn's books ever came out. So there were like little little paragraph snippets about these characters but not a whole lot and like then my authors that I picked just ran off and did the stories and it all folded into the continuity until the special editions came out and kind of changed everything but okay. they're still good stories they are good stories and you know it's funny my wife keeps asking me when are you going to get rid of your Star Wars books and a lot of the books Ooh, that I have and you're still are, married oh, I know oh, I know oh, oh. But, but I have a lot of them that you authored and it's like you know they're such good a lot of them it's it's hard I can't get rid of them they're just good books you know For, forget the fact that they're Star Wars stories they're just good stories well that does has, has to happen that <laughs> does have to happen um, they have to be good stories as well as good Star Wars stories because you want you never know who's going to pick them up yes and my view is that I, I wanted to do my Star Wars stories to be the absolute best work that I could possibly do even though I knew most people were going to pick it up because it said Star Wars on the cover, not because it said my name on the cover. But a lot of the readers who would like those books, I hope that they would go on and pick up some of my other books because they liked what I did in Star Wars. And I hope you guys have read those so many times, I hope you've read at least one or two of my other books. But um, I'm still very proud of all the Star Wars work I did. I'm very pleased to keep seeing, well, like here at Salt Lake City Comic Con, um, I'll be meeting people all weekend long who will come up with their battered old yellowed books that they've had for years and years and they want them signed and I, I get thrilled by that alright well I, I think we've monopolized enough of your time we really appreciate it though and we're excited to see all your new projects as well well thank you very much and, and keep reading and may the force be with you which I guess is what I'm supposed to say right that's, that's <laughs> that the works. appropriate thing that works not, not live long and prosper well that works too whatever we're all, we're all geeks and we're fans books. I did track books I'm a fanboy. I'm a, I'm a professional fanboy. I make my living at it, and that's kind of cool. I still can't believe that. That's very cool. Thank you. All right. We are on here with uh, Hugo Award-winning comic book, well, web cartoonist, I should say. Web cartoonist, Howard podcaster, Taylor. and writer. All-around awesome guy. Howard, we are thrilled to have you on. We've, uh, we've been wanting to have you on for a while. The schedules have never really matched up. Our fault entirely, but we are so thrilled to have you. Oh no, you now. it's not your fault. It's my fault for being way too busy. There's another fly. I'm gonna have to kill that one too. We have a lot of flies here. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, we are here at Salt Lake City Comic Con, the first Salt Lake City Comic Con. And as we're recording this, there's a mob of people trying to pay no attention uh, to this corner of the world we're in. It's like, wow, they're talking. It must be. They're, they're talking. Are they talking to me? No, we're not talking to you. We're talking to the microphone. Yeah, exactly. Now, all right, we are. You have a huge following. 
There it is. Reasonably sized. Reasonably sized. I got about 130,000 readers uh, per month. Around 25 to 30,000 people show up at the site per day. And I do about 5 million page views per month. Now, if any um, schlub out there listening to us is not familiar with Schlock Mercenary, which is which is one of your works, it's your most popular work, but it's, it's just one of them. This webcomic, if for no other reason, just its sheer longevity, is huge. You have not missed a single day in how many years of publishing? Thirteen and a half. Thirteen and a half years. This I'm sorry you... if I sound distracted. There is a velociraptor walking past your booth. Oh, yeah. For those of you not benefiting from the video feed at home, there was a velociraptor. And I, that's all I got. I'm... Yeah, we already have pictures of it up on our Facebook. You can okay. see it there. It's, awesome. uh, it is distracting. Wiped our table clean <laughs> but no, we, you have actual story arcs, epic story arcs, that are just huge in scope and almost unmatched in the comic world, let alone the webcomic world, or the sci-fi world. Oh, you guys are, you guys are very, very kind. Um, <laughs> I, yes, I write, I write long-form serial comics, um, four panels at a time. It's great fun. It's gotten more and more difficult as the body of work grows, as the history of the Schlockiverse gets more and more fleshed out, I realize it's becoming it's becoming a full-time job just to keep track of this in order to make sure that I don't contradict myself. How do you keep track of that? I have a wiki that, uh, that helps, and I also I keep lots and lots of notes. And uh, I, I've got a reasonably good memory, and um, but mostly lots and lots of notes in a wiki. <laughs> it sounds like you need your own Larry Nemechek, the, the Star Trek guy who took care of all of that. That would be that would be nice. Although I affri- I'm afraid that if I actually hired somebody like that, I would have the very first thing he would say is, "Okay, here are the six key continuity problems that you need to fix." Um, and if you can't fix them, then you just run the whole thing into the ground. And I'd be like, wait, I don't have any continuity problems. Why did you show me these? I was happy until just now. So. Well, now, this must mean that you have a huge back catalog, which means you're always working. You're always pumping out new strips to be automated to head up. Right now, the current story arc we're on... They're in the spindle. They're they're yep. they're burning and killing everything they were supposed to protect in the spindle. After a fashion, yeah. There, there's a little bit of burning and killing. How, how far ahead of that are you actually in your uh, scripted and drawn? I am. Now I got to do the math. Mathing some math. About three weeks ahead. Uh, in terms of knowing what happens for the story arc, I am about for this story arc. I'm about three to four months ahead, and in terms of, um, you know, the overall mega art of Schlock Mercenary, uh, I know how these pieces fit into the story that'll be running for the next four or five years. Excellent. That is awesome. Uh, It seems like most of your story arcs, uh, for me at least, uh, seem very original. Where where do you come up with most of your ideas? I see that. That's... We get asked that question a lot. I say we, authors, writers of all strike, where do you get your ideas? That's not the right question. The right question is, how do you make the bad ideas go away? And the answer is, 
you start taking your ideas and write and illustrate and grind and combine and the bad ideas start to fall out the bottom you realize oh that was really dumb I'm glad I didn't do that um, uh, because I have no shortage of ideas also I make sure that I'm always filling up my head with stuff I read all the time uh, even if it's just the news um, I read I read a lot of science articles um, I, obviously I read novels I read comics uh, something will strike a chord and I'll think oh that's kind of cool it's interesting what he did with this idea but what if instead of being set here it was set here and instead of doing this it did that and all of a sudden I've got a story that looks to you to be completely original and from where I'm sitting it feels completely derivative but I've I've changed up enough that nobody can tell and by the time I execute on it it really is all my own well, it works out. The, uh, I, I like how you, you incorporate as much science as you can, trying to explain things scientifically. Um, I especially like the Terraport Wars. Uh, did you have any inspiration for that? Uh, the, uh, the bit about the gatekeeping, the gatekeeper yeah. copying. I was standing in the airport waiting for my sister-in-law, Nancy, uh, Nancy Folda, who is also a writer of no small repute. And... Um, as I'm there at the airport, I was thinking about uh, the gatekeepers, and I wondered what would happen if if there were copies being made when you went through a worm gate. And I got chills, so I realized, well, that's pretty insidious. What would you do with the copy? Well, obviously, once you've got the copy, you just interrogate and interrogate and interrogate until you know everything that they know, and then you get rid of the copy because you don't want there to be any evidence. And nobody's the wiser because... The original has passed through the worm gate and gone on to their destination. And so the gatekeepers were able to surreptitiously copy people and gain information and have the information they needed to keep running the galaxy. I, I especially like in that arc that how bored the gatekeepers were with certain people. It's like, yes, yes, we know. You've already told us everything you know 12 times this week. Yeah, you've already, you've already told us that, you've told us that, you've told us that. We're just looking for something new. That was me attempting to swat a fly. I think I missed that one. Oh, well. Yeah, he, he's not only a very talented author, artist, and podcaster, he's also killed many a fly here in our booth. So we're <laughs> doing what I can. Now, some of your ideas are very much in line. It's like, okay, yeah, I can see how that strip came from this strip and this strip. And then every once in a while, you throw a random one at us. Uh, in fact, I've, I've sat there, Mon Canard est en fue. I've, my, my duck is on fire. You, all you need to do is Google that, and you become a trope in of it yourself yeah, that well, way. And see, the, the thing to bear in mind is that I never throw anything away. And anytime I'm running a story, if I'm... If it's reached a point where something needs to happen, if it reached a point where I need to I need to mix things up or I need to change points of view or, uh, or injure somebody uh, I reach into the bag of tricks and I look for an idea that I haven't fully explored and the Mon Canal de Saint-Feu was the idea that a translation can be really bad you know, Mon Canal de Saint-Feu um, you know my, my duck is on the fire um, uh you know, it's not a great, it's not a great translation, and the idea that this would be some sort of Canadian separatist battle cry uh, just made me giggle. Why? Why would that happen? But then you listen to the things that people in crowds will chant, 
and if you strip away the context, you realize, oh, you know, my duck is on fire really isn't that far removed from the from the ridiculousness that you could get in a uh, in a rally. I'm sure there's a Middle Eastern version that we're just not picking up on right now. In a lot there of may conflicts. there may very well be. Duck, may duck, very well duck. Be. Yes. Uh, you recently had a Kickstarter campaign for uh, the Shot Mercenary board game. That's that's been going pretty well. The board game Kickstarter closed at around eighty-four thousand back oh, in amazing. late two thousand eleven, and uh, and then we made board games, and the board games are available from schlockmercenary.com and I think livingworldgames.com, uh, and you can pick them up at any uh, uh, any game store. Um, it was a lot of fun to do. You know, I partnered with some game designers. I say partner. Um, I licensed my stuff to them, and they made uh, they made an awesome board game. Um, and we did a Kickstarter, and we all got paid. Uh, more recently, I did the Challenge Point Kickstarter, and the uh, that particular project grant went absolutely gangbusters. Uh, you know, we wanted fifteen hundred, and we got one hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, it was it was insane, and the trick there was managing the business so that we didn't overextend ourselves, so that we could fulfill every last order, so that we could fulfill all of the stretch goals, so that we could make this thing exactly the way we said we were going to make it, and still come home with a profit. And we came home with enough of a profit that we were able to turn money back around and start doing some other, uh, you know, maybe more interesting things that we haven't told the fans about yet. Sneaky. I'll give you a hint. One of them is I'm hiring out some of the art for bonus stories so that I can build I can build out books more quickly and there's a little more visual interest in them and I think that'll be a lot of fun. That sounds exciting. That's a lot of fun. Now, again, we've talked a lot about Schlock, but you have some other projects as well. Do you have some other art taverns? I do. I do. Well, you know, let's uh, let's start with let's start with writing excuses. It's another podcast. Uh, writingexcuses.com, 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and we're not that smart. It's a podcast for writers, and this last weekend, I don't know when this episode will air, but this last weekend, from my point of view, it was awarded the Hugo for Best Related Work uh, for 2013, which absolutely thrilled us, gobsmacked us. We were not expecting that. Um, we were not caught flat-footed. We did have a little bit of a speech prepared, but we were to receive that award and from our standpoint the Hugo for Best Related Work for us was not so much about you know a pat on the back hey you guys done great it was more of a validation that says hey this thing that you guys are doing for writers keep doing it it's worthwhile it's helping it's you're paying it forward um, thank you for paying it forward now uh, now go record some more episodes <laughs> Do you have any other new projects coming up, or just kind of still plugging away? And coming up yeah. soon, we have Space Eldritch 2, which is going to be a uh, collection of hard science fiction mixed with horror. The, uh, the horror of there are things that man was not meant to know. And my cont- uh, contribution to that project is a story called Fall Runelot, in which our heroine wields a, a soul bone which is a rune-inscribed human femur from her leg. Um, of course, she has a replacement. But anyway, there are things <laughs> well, that men, there are things that man and women and child were not meant to know, and this story is full of those things. Um, so I, I'm writing a little horror. 
Space Eldritch 2, uh, probably available in mid-October. Excellent. Well, we'll definitely keep an eye out for that. Now, they can find this and all your stuff at schlockmercenary.com. Schlockmercenary.com. Yep. Uh, as well as your uh, your regular uh, movie reviews as well. Oh, yeah, there's that. When I go see a movie, I write up a review, and my movie reviews are, how much fun do I have in the theater? Um, it's hugely subjective. Uh, if the popcorn is bad, uh, I might not enjoy the movie. And I'll tell you, I didn't enjoy the movie very much. Maybe the popcorn was bad, I don't know. And if I had a great time, but the movie was absolutely stupid and ridiculous, I'll say, this movie was stupid and ridiculous, but I had fun. And I feel guilty for having fun, but shut up, I had fun. And, 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 the, whole review, and the whole review is about... Uh, you know, do you want to go to the movies this weekend? You know, I, I saw a movie. Do you want to go to the movies this weekend? Um, you know, maybe maybe this would be a fun thing for us to do. Um, uh, yeah, we have McGee's Alice here. Yeah, that's that's pretty awesome. Oh yeah, yeah. Mid sentence, I looked up at, at your eyes. Yeah, we need to get a picture of these for the website if that's okay, so the listeners know what it, what the heck it is I'm talking about. This isn't this great. We're trying to we're trying to talk with someone. We have Velociraptors walking through. Yeah, and we have, it's hey. it's pretty brilliant, right there. Oh my goodness. Oh, look that. Sorry. She broke the camera. It was so scary, she broke the camera. Okay, yeah, you, well, you're going to have to do so much editing. Would you pose for me, too? That's, you're good, you're good, you're good. We're recording, and... Oh, that's so creepy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have fun, you guys. You look fantastic. Um, so, I forget what I was saying, because she was scary. She has that effect. Uh, well, but taking a picture, I think I may have banished the horror a little bit. Except that that photo's going to come up on my phone and spook me out. Your phone will actually call you and warn you in three days. <laughs> the other project that I'm working on, uh, I've been doing um, tie-in fiction for Privateer Press for their Iron Kingdoms games. And the first novelette, excuse me, the first novella, Extraordinary Zoology, um, came out in August. And sometime in September or October, there will be a short story out as part of a collection. And the short story is called Heartfire. And they want me to do a sequel to Extraordinary Zoology. I don't know where I'm going to squeeze that into my calendar, but it will probably... Uh, probably won't be available until uh, until late next summer at the earliest. I don't know. I, I don't want to make any promises or commit their editor to anything that they can't do. Um, it's completely unwritten, but but Aaron Riddell, the editor, talked to me and said, guys love Extraordinary Zoology. The fans are loving that story, so we need you to be the one who writes the, the novel that comes next. Well, now it's recorded. It's, not, it's out there. I've now either. committed to that, exactly. kind of. Aaron, I'm so sorry. If you guys change your mind, I'm totally okay with that. But Aaron's email address is. <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to fall for that date. <laughs> All right. Well, Howard, we absolutely love having you on. Thank you. We, we love your work, and we hope you continue doing your work forever. Um, no pressure or anything. No pressure. I will try not to die. Again, if you want to see any of Howard's work, all of Howard's work, schlockmercenary.com. S-C-H- as well. S-C-H-L-O-C-K-M-E-R-C-E-N-A-R-Y.com. And I'm only going to spell it once. We'll also have a link in the show notes. So. Oh, that's much easier. All right, we are here with uh, one of our favorite authors and good friend of the program, Larry Carrillo. Larry... 
it's awesome to finally meet you. Yeah, it's the first time I've met you guys in person. Glad to be here. Awesome. So this is, uh, of course, and we've mentioned this a lot to people who've been listening, but our first Comic-Con, how's it going for you? Oh, man, it is awesome. I am so impressed that Salt Lake has put on an event like this. This is a huge convention. I am I am pretty gee whiz that Salt Lake has enough fans to do something like this. Yeah, it's kind of uh, out of the woodwork. You think you're alone until, oh, hey, 55,000 of you are all going to be in one spot. Is that is that what they're saying it's going to be now? Is that many? Because that's something like that. 50,000, 50, I think is what they said. 50 and 60 is the estimate. Ever since the announcement of Stan Lee, it just spikes. Yeah, you know, I've been, to, I've been to conventions all over America. That is a respectable number for any convention. Yeah. Um, yeah, like Dragon Con, Gen Con. I mean, they get more than that, but they've been around for decades so this is for our first year. This is amazing. Now we, uh, you don't have a table. No, do you have a table here? Uh, no, I'm just. Uh, I am not chained to a table. I am on a ton of panels, and I'm signing at Deseret Books. Lo- loads of panels. We, we searched through you because we were trying to. We we're trying to figure out where we could find you, where we could nail you down. Only to find that you're not nailed. That was about to sound weird. No, I'm like the wind. <laughs> you, you can't tame me. And Born free. I'm born free. No, I was just wandering. I was just wandering through, and uh, ran into you guys. It's worked out well. Awesome. So, what have you been up to since the last time we talked? We, 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 a couple of little projects you've been working. Oh my gosh, I have been so busy. So I retired from my uh, military uh, job this year. Uh, um, I've had a couple more books come out. Warbound was the most recent. I just got back from book tour for that. Warbound is the uh, third grim noir novel. It's done extremely well, especially an audiobook where it's the uh, was the number two best selling audiobook in the country. The only thing beating it was uh, J.K. Rowling's new one. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> we just had an assassin come by, and he had the little the wrist blade. That is awesome. That is wicked cool, man. You'll be able to see that picture up on Facebook. Yeah, that was... That, not confiscated. That was tough. <laughs> I got to say, that's pretty cool. I love the costumes. Um, now, so Warbound came out. did really good. Like I said, number two. I actually had the number two and number three audiobook in the country for a while. That was great. Uh, I'm writing for Privateer Press now for War Machine. I uh, just had a novel called Into the Storm come out on ebook for those guys. Uh, just think, you know, big mad science lightning sword arm knights battling steampunk, steam powered fighting robots. Uh, dirty dozen. If we could get any more geek centric words to describe one thing, it may actually cause a singularity. Man, that's all I do is I just collect whatever geeky references I can and see how many I can cram into a single novel and get away with it. <laughs> So, yeah, so I've had those two come out, and I got Swords of Exodus, which is my uh, second Dead Six thriller. That's going to be out in September, uh, September 25th. And that, that one's pretty, it's, it's pretty tough. I like it a lot. Not that I don't love your other works, too, but when do I get another Monster Hunter? Uh, that The next one is called Monster Hunter Nemesis, and it's an Agent Frank's novel. Uh, and that will be out next summer, summer 2014. We want to hear all the home stuff. Anime cosplayers, let's hear a big hoop for them. I'm starting to hate that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you're going to edit him. <laughs> yeah. I'll do what I can. Oh man, the, the bronies. bronies! The bronies are out in force here. We didn't want to thank all of you for coming out for your annual Salt Lake Comic Con. This will be possible by our fans. I don't know if we have a lot of brony fans. Uh, I'm not really sure on that one. They're pretty loud. Yeah. That's the next demographic you need to pull in. 
Yeah. You have like the steampunk, uh, graphic, uh, violent, crony well, detective thriller. If I could get, if I could get My Little Pony involved with Doctor Who and sparkly vampires, I would make ten billion dollars. Anybody can do it. It'd be you. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, but you know, I do have some dignity left. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, last panel, people were like, hey, what's the next big thing? Yeah, sexy mummies. I don't know. All right, whatever. I really hate this guy, this announcer. He's been going off constantly. He doesn't know how many podcasters are here. I know, exactly. And I'm looking at, I'm looking at the sound waves here as he talks, and he just obliterates us. We'll just filter it out. We'll all end up sounding like static. Yeah. Yeah, I just... You just go through and just... We had a good first minute. <laughs> well, okay, let's kill time while he's talking with other stuff. What has been the coolest thing you've seen here so far? Um, I don't know. The Assassin's Creed costume that went by was one of the better ones I've seen. Um... I don't know. Tacos in the green room with the Highlander was kind of cool. Okay, I just got to tell you. So I was, I was uh, eating tacos, uh, sitting at the table in the green room, and this dude sits down at the other end of the table, and he's just a normal-looking guy, so I didn't really think anything of it. And Then later on, I'm walking through the, the panel where the celebrities are signing, and it's like, hey, that's the Highlander. <laughs> so I can say that I've eaten tacos while sitting next to the Highlander. Um, that's, pretty, that's pretty cool. <laughs> It's always kind of weird when, when you're a professional, and I, I'm, of course, not referencing myself because I'm not to that level, but being a professional but being a fan at the same time. Oh, yeah. I'm a total geek, but it's really cool. You start meeting these people, and you realize most of them are fairly normal. Uh, there's a ton of celebrities here, but most of them are just relatively average people in, in real life. You know, they're not insane. Um it's cool as an author, the more you do this, the more, like, celebrities you find that know who you are and are fans. Um, so I still kind of geek out whenever I have, like, a hardcore Firefly fan, because, you know, I know Jane, you know, okay? He's, I know Adam Baldwin, <laughs> so I, you whip that out, and you just, 10 million instant cool points with all the Firefly fans. And Chuck. Yeah, you got the Firefly and Chuck there. Oh, yeah, man, so cool points there, and Justified fans, you know, I know Nick Searcy, we're friends, and it's cool to, to get these people, but I uh, haven't seen Shatner yet, his table been empty, but I'm sure there's going to be a giant mob when Shatner shows up. Yeah, yeah, he's not supposed to, he's not supposedly coming until Saturday, but in truth, he'll be here Friday night for that huge uh, roast with him and Adam West. Oh my gosh, that's going to be huge. Yeah. And then uh, Stan Lee, I can't even imagine what the mob is going to be like when Stan Lee shows up. That is a man that has changed a lot of lives, so... I imagine we won't be able to record. It's just going to be this constant scream fest. Yeah, probably. No, just evacuate the room at that point, because it's just going to suck all the oxygen out of it. Just <laughs> all that all that simultaneous, you know, 100,000 nerd gasp of astonishment. <laughs> so, I'm, I don't know, I kind of want to meet the guy, but maybe I'll run into him eating tacos or something in the green room. We'll see. <laughs> he's, he's an enchilada man, really, you know? <laughs> Yeah, so Tia Carreri's here, who I had a crush on when Wayne Jones came out. I heard she was canceled. Oh, really? No, I haven't heard. Oh, bummer. I heard she was filming. That's because Mrs. Korea found out and didn't want me to be at a convention with uh, the girl that I have had. Just Cassandra from Wayne's World. That I had a crush on since Showdown in Little Tokyo. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gosh, what was that, like 1993? Yeah, no, no. That, Wayne's World, Wayne's World 2, and then uh, the last one, True right? Lies. True Lies. True Lies. 
Oh, good times. <laughs> now, from an author standpoint, from a geek standpoint, from a professional standpoint, not a lot of twihards out here. And in fact, I remember San Diego Comic Con a couple of years ago when one of the big halls was just filled with Twilight fans. And it was people were saying, hey, this is going to be the next big thing. But then it fell off almost immediately. Um, it is that these other ones, you know, you're a geek you're a, and you're an author at the same time. Why do you think that all these other things have the real diehard fan base and something like that is just kind of a flash in the pan? Well, I don't know. It's a hard one because it's always hard to tell what makes different people tick and what they like. You know, you can't really predict. And I don't want to judge anybody's, like, personal geekery. But, man, I hate those books. <laughs> and I would hope that it's, like, all the young people read them and, and then like then they went and read other books and realized that there's more good stuff out there to read. Yeah, here's some Anne Rice. Here's some the, anything. Um, I mean, so I'm hoping that's part of it. And then maybe the other part, maybe the old housewives that were all lusting after 16-year-old guys with no shirts kind of became ashamed and wandered off. I don't know. Um, Let's hope. I, I just hope. But then again, you got Fifty Shades of Grey is the like best-selling book of like the earth. <laughs> and that's Twilight fan fiction, basically. And that's just that's just sad that like you can take something poorly written and then write fan fiction for it, which is even more poorly written, and make a billion dollars. Yes. Why do I bother? I do. I do wait to see that cosplay though. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, I don't know if that's legal in Salt Lake City. I I, I don't know if you can. Now, I, I, I will, I, I know for Dragon Con, the costumes at Dragon Con, they have what's called Dragon Con After Dark. Six o'clock at Dragon Con, you hide all your children, lock the hotel rooms, um, because that's when all the college, you know, 100,000 college students show up. And um, the costume rules for that have to just meet Atlanta City minimum guidelines for public decency. And this is Atlanta, we're talking Atlanta. about. <laughs> and we're talking, okay, and I know you can meet those legal requirements with six inches of black electrical tape. I have seen it done. It was like, wow. Okay, and I thought I'd seen a lot, but no. Everybody needs to go there at least once before they die. And bring beads. Oh, my gosh. It, seriously, I was with a couple guys who'd been to Mardi Gras, and university, Mardi, they think it's it's uh, it's bigger than Mardi Gras. I know, we needed an on-air on flight. Meet Larry Curry. They can edit it out. Hi, I'm Mike. Hi, I'm Mike. his boss. Oh, hey. <laughs> nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. I'm just a writer. I know. I've heard you. Uh, he's a I, big admirer. I rave In fact, this. we hired a guy. We can put this on the podcast. This is great. Yeah. <laughs> but he hired it's a guy. Jeremiah's and, boss. It's <laughs> Jeremiah's boss, and this is what's important. He had to list who his favorite writers were, and remember... One of the guys that put it in there is Larry Correa. was one of his favorite writers. He's like, okay, you're right. My book to hire the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You heard it here, folks. This is how you conduct job interviews. You <laughs> can actually still uh, discriminate based on that. The U.S. law has it, not reached that far. No, it's not a protected class. Yeah, exactly. So. <laughs> That's right. I mean, if they start putting down terrible books, do you really want to work with that person? Exactly. Seriously. If they're all like, hey, Twilight's the be-end-all of all literature, just walk away, man. Walk <laughs> away. We, we really couldn't consider you for this job. Yeah. Oh, we just don't think it would work out because you suck and have no taste. <laughs> now, speaking of not bad books and not bad writing, I just finished uh, Hard Magic. 
Yep. The scene in that where Faye is training with Delilah. I love that scene. That is one of the most awesome scenes in any book that I have ever read. The smack that this Oki girl talks <laughs> is just brilliant. What was it like for you to, to write this character? Because she is just amazing. Faye is loosely based upon one of my daughters, only if she was a 1930s Dust Bowl refugee with magical superpowers. Okay. Um... Because I have this one daughter who is, um, I'm trying to think, I mean, and she's probably going to listen to this and I'm going to get in trouble, but basically we always joke that she's like uh, like one step off from being Sheldon Cooper, only she's better at mimicking social skills. <laughs> and so she she's, can be a little scary at times, but she is a literal genius, um, and she's absolutely fantastically brilliant. Uh-huh. And so one of the things was when I was writing this, I was kind of imagining a girl with that kind of, you know, that brilliant, but never given uh, a constructive human outlet yes. and a really rough upbringing and superpowers that make her a killing machine. And hence Faye was born. And she is one of my favorite characters ever and one of my most popular characters ever because she is just, she's so deadly yet just so cute at the same time. Yes. But it's not sticky cute. I mean, she's got this real stark morality. It's very, like, it's very good or evil. Yes. And you are either good in her book, and she'll be your best friend ever, or you're bad, and she will kill the crap out of you. Yes. And uh, when well, you're, you're reading Hard Magic now. When you get to the third book in the series, Warbound, uh-huh. because basically the series is about her. She's a primary character in the series. As it goes on, she grows in experience, and by the time you get to the last book, it is insane what she does. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I'm about halfway through Spellbound right now. Oh, cool. So, um, Which is fun, because uh, so you're in Spellbound, so I'll avoid spoilers here. But in Hard Magic, Faye gets stronger and stronger as the book goes on. Yes. And I had people who weren't really paying attention. They're like, well, gee, it seems like she just got stronger as the plot got harder. Ah, but then you get to Spellbound, and you read the whole plot of Spellbound yes. is really about why Faye is... Who she, how she is. Yeah, so amazingly awesome. And then you get to the third book, and really it kind of wraps it up and like, why she wound up being picked. Okay. It's pretty good. I won't, I won't avoid, I'll avoid spoilers, but I wrap it up. I wrap up the whole trilogy, and uh, like I said, she's a fantastic character. And man, I had so much fun with that series. It was real, it was hard to wrap it up. Now, that's finished now, correct? Yeah. Warbound was the final. Yeah, that's a trilogy now. I will revisit the Grim Noir universe. Okay. There are more planned. I got one that's in 1908. One is set in the 1850s in the colonial world. And uh, I am planning now on doing a trilogy set in the 1950s that'll be all the golden age of sci-fi stuff. Okay, cool. Now, what's it like for you writing back in that time period as far as research goes? Are you having to do a lot of research regarding the weaponry? Tons. Uh, I am a research nerd because I'm a huge history geek. And so before I write a Grim Noir novel, I mean, usually I will read a giant stack of history books. Okay. So Warbound, like for example, Warbound, I take the trilogy to uh, Shanghai, which in the 1930s was just a crazy, crazy place. So I had to do all this research into basically Chinese history just to get stuff right for a few scenes. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I am a historical nerd, so I love it. And before I wrote Hard Magic, I read a stack of history books. It was about three feet tall. Okay. Um, and just had a great time. And, and really, the key to me is I, I can study and, and read history until it's starting to cut into my writing time, because then I just got to give it up and write the darn book. Yeah, I like how you're posting excerpts on your Facebook and, and Twitter. Uh, you did one a couple weeks ago. I just had Agent Franks hit someone so hard that their brains squirted out their ears. I love my job. <laughs> and that right there just puts a smile on my face, because... 
I love Agent Franks. I like Earl better, I think. Yeah, Earl's fantastic. Earl's, Earl's quite awesome. awesome. Yeah, they're, um, you know, I, my, one of my philosophies on this is um, if I'm having fun writing it, I know that my readers are probably going to have more fun reading it. Yes. You know, I try, if I'm ever bored while I'm writing, then I know I'm doing it wrong. Okay. And if I'm bored, I know you guys are going to be super bored. So I try to write stuff that I would want to read. So when I write something from, from like one of these really bad Mamba Jamba characters and they do something super awesome that makes me giggle, then I know it's good. I know my fans are going to eat it up. <laughs> so I, it, it, it was just a scene and Franks winds up with a crowbar and there's this dude coming at him. Franks just bashes him right in the center of the forehead and just wrecks him. And I giggled. It was such an awesome thing that I just giggled. And I was like, okay, that's going on. That's going on. I got to tweet that because my fans are going to eat that up. I just did every, every now and then there'll be like a really good line that it's like okay I gotta put this on the internet because everybody's gonna laugh bad thing is though when I'll think it's a really funny line and they'll put it on the internet and then no one laughs and they're like man, man maybe I shouldn't put that in the book <laughs> do, do a little bit of peer review yeah. yeah it's like early rough drafting for you guys via Twitter that's that's how I roll well keep doing it because we love how you roll oh thanks now as far as Earl Monster Hunter uh, Alpha was kind of a kind of a break from the first two books, and it yep. just focused on the one character. Did you catch a lot of flack for that? People, hey, why are you just doing? Uh, no, I, it actually was really popular, and it was kind of an experiment because the Monster Hunter universe. I had this overall story arc I want to tell from Owen's perspective, but I got all these really other awesome characters that I wanted to develop more. But you can't really do that in a book written from somebody else's perspective. Yes. So I went to my publisher and I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. I want to write an Earl Harbinger novel, just about Earl. Um, or would you like me to write the next Owen book? And she, luckily for me, my publisher loves Earl. That's her favorite character. And she's like, Earl book, give me the Earl book. It's like, yes, ma'am. And it actually turned out really well because what had happened is it enabled me to expand the series outward. So originally it was going to be about five books from Owen's perspective. And now it's actually the series is looking to be about ten books because it's still going to be the same story I was telling before, only now I get to expand it. Um, and so basically I have the Earl book, then it goes, uh, then there's uh, Monster Hunter uh, Legion was back to Owen, and then Monster Hunter Nemesis is all about Agent Franks, and then it's back to Owen, and then there's another one about another character I can't say what it is yet. And then we're back to Owen for the end of the end of the series. I, I will admit, I started reading uh, Alpha, and I got kind of confused. I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So wait a minute, this is all from, from Earl's? Where's my beloved characters? Yeah, where am I? And after like two chapters, I'm like, screw it, I'm in. I am sold. <laughs> he, he's just such a bad mamba-jamba. That, okay, here's the key to writing Earl Harbinger. Imagine every Clint Eastwood movie you've ever seen, and then turn it to 11. It was, like, it was like, what would Clint East, what would a bad, tough Clint Eastwood character do here? Turn it up. And uh, yeah. that's just how I play it. But and we, we I had a lot of fun with that. Yeah, we absolutely love him for it. And, and I don't think I'm giving away anything. I mean, the book's been out for a while, but I won't. It's nice to have him have that possibility of a romantic interest. Oh, yeah. I like that, actually. And actually, one of my, uh, one of my most popular characters ever, uh, and, and probably one of my most popular, definitely one of my most popular female characters, uh, is was Earl's love interest in Monster Hunter Alpha, uh, Heather. Uh, and Heather was just a... Everybody loved Heather. Yes. She's a very human, very fallible character. 
and just she was very plausible character. So people loved her. And yeah, I, 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 she's back. She'll be back. Nice, nice. Yeah, I saw she was in Legion as well. Yeah, I, a cameo appearance. If a character can make a cameo appearance in a book, she was in. Yeah, she was a cameo in that one. Uh, she is back in Legion for a little bit bigger scene because I am kind of a chess master. How I like to lay this stuff out in advance, um, and so there, there's reasoning behind everything I do to my characters. So yeah, she's back in Nemesis a little bit. It's pretty awesome. Now, now we love talking to you, and we we have a tendency to ramble whenever we talk to you. But oh yeah, let's focus here. We you just finished up. I shouldn't say just finished up. A little while ago, you finished up a Kickstarter to successfully do the the handbook, the employee handbook, which we had just mentioned when we interviewed you last. Yep. Um, yeah, the Monster Hunter International Employee Handbook and Role Playing Game uh, from Hero Games. It is out now. It's available uh, online. Uh, you get it online everywhere, or uh, a lot of game stores carrying it. It turned out fantastic. 300 giant glossy pages, fully illustrated, all color. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful game book. Nice. And, Congratulations uh, on getting that. Oh, Don't man. It was so fun. Actually, I am doing another Kickstarter launching probably next week. Um, I'm doing Monster Hunter International Challenge Coins. Really? Yeah. Just for kicks. We're doing it for fun. Uh, I'm making up a run of Monster Hunter Challenge Coins, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, we got all the different team coins, different event coins. I got Special Task Force Unicorn. I got the Monster Control Bureau. <laughs> We've got one for the Internet Troll. We've got one for uh, yeah. We got one for the uh, Trailer Park Elves. So yep, Monster Hunter Challenge Coins because. Why the heck not? I'll have to look out because for those. awesome, that's why. Because <laughs> awesome is why. <laughs> yeah, so look, looking forward to that. That'll be coming out probably next. Well, I don't know when this is going to air, but um, soon. It, it should be coming out mid-September. Let's just put it that way. No, uh, this will definitely be out before that. So. Okay, cool. Awesome. Well, okay. I, we've taken up a lot of your time here. Anything else you have coming down the pipe? I mean, we've talked about books coming out, challenge coins coming out. Anything else? Maybe. TV series, movies? Well, the TV stuff, uh, nothing new has happened. They've renewed the option. So uh, uh, Entertainment One, the people who do Walking Dead on AMC, uh, still have the rights to Monster Hunter. We'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully, um, they actually, I heard that uh, Walking Dead is going to end in 2014. And so hopefully they will pick this up as the next thing they want to push. Okay. Or possibly a crossover. I would talk, yeah, the stuff that said, Monster Hunter International will just wreck their way through The Walking Dead in like one episode. And, and, and end the series. Yeah, there wouldn't be like, oh, hey, we're being all angsty. Earl would just kill everybody who was emo. And they would just... Maybe that's how they'll end it. And a launching point for your show. Yeah, this, this chain-smoking southerner is going to show up, shoot everybody that whines, and solve all the... you know. Just Can you imagine the geek rage fans of the uh, Walking Dead comic would go berserk? <laughs> See, I am a huge fan of the comic, and I'm thinking 2014, they still got a lot of story to tell. Yeah, I don't know what they're going to do on that, actually. I... I I, that's what I've heard, but I don't know if that's official. I just got that off the uh, off the internet, so okay, it might be full of crap. <laughs> I have okay. no idea. Guess we'll find out. Time will tell. Yeah, it's not like I have any insider information on this or anything. <laughs> no, no, Larry's word is law. <laughs> that's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. <laughs> Well, Larry, thank you so much for stopping by. It's Thanks, always guys. a pleasure to talk to you. We yeah. love your work. Keep it up. Thanks. My pleasure. All right. We are here with Rob from Utah Pokemon Podcast. How's it going, Rob? It's going awesome. It's pretty good for our first time con, huh? I know. A lot of great response, a lot of great costumes. 
Now, Rob, we actually just met you. We literally just pulled you in off the Yeah, you, you really did. But you're, you're a fellow podcaster. Where can we listen to your show? Um, we've been uh, putting it up on YouTube, youtube.com slash Utah Pokemon. Very cool. Um, we just uh, finished uh, one, another one. We're brand new into it, but, you know, we want to make sure there's a lot of interest going into that. And a lot of people love Pokemon. Awesome. We're definitely going to uh, have your uh, link in the show notes, too, to help the... Uh, Help get you out there. Now, well, thanks. Not a problem. But podcasters have to stick together. Now, has, we've seen a lot of Pokemon going around. In fact, there's, <laughs> a, there's literally a Team Rocket guy right here across yeah, like, the way from us. That's like, what, 20 feet away? Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've seen a lot of uh, Pikachus going around. I've seen a uh, Snorlax. A, a lot guy. of ash. I've seen an ash, yeah. yeah. A lot of ash. <laughs> come, 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 watch the ash. <laughs> um, but... Uh, I actually have to say, I've probably seen more cosplay that's Pokemon related than any other. Pokemon came to the U.S. back when I was in middle school? Yeah, it was 1999 is when it hit the U.S. I guess, yeah, Yeah. I was in high school. Why do you think it's still around? Because there's been a lot of anime stuff for it. I don't even know if that qualifies as anime. Well, Pokemon is pretty much all-encompassing. It has a video game. It has an anime. It even has a comic book, trading card game. It's pretty huge. And, you know, the fact that it's kept to its user base and it's evolved slightly, but not too much. There's that damn announcer. I know. I have been going on my overhead over at my booth, and it's it's been hard. (laughs) Well, now... What's really funny is I don't think most people can even understand what he's saying. Yeah, I, I have a hard time hearing it too. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of ridiculous how long this guy goes. Well, it's like we're stuck in a Peanuts episode. <laughs> what was that, teacher? Yeah, exactly. Now, I'll just edit all this out. Screw him. I won't give him any additional... Don't give him some more time. Yeah. So now, well, like I'm saying, it's like my, my brother used to be huge into like Yu-Gi-Oh, and that was going to be the next big thing to dethrone Pokemon. Didn't stick around. Digimon, same thing. Yeah, Digimon kind of had a hard time. Yu-Gi-Oh still has its player base, uh-huh. but it's not nearly as big as Pokemon. And another great thing about Pokemon is everybody remembers it. Yeah. I mean, you remember it from when you were in school. We still have kids who are five years old coming up to this and be like, hey, I just started with a Pokemon. How do I get into this? Yeah. And it's super fun. It's not hard to learn, but it's still challenging at the same time. Now, okay, so I'm in my 30s. I have, I have kids of my own. <laughs> there is that stigma that if you're an adult, you're not allowed to like Pokemon and on heaven forbid, if you're an adult and you show up at the, the Pokemon cons or whatnot, you're you are that kind of adult. No. What, what do you way. say to that? I see. I think it's uh, wrong. I think it's completely inaccurate. I mean, you having kids now, we see a lot of family groups come into it. You know, with parents be like, "Hey, this it was going on when I was in school." Now that they have kids, they have something to bond with and connect. And you know, these kids they are learning reading and mathematical skills while also bonding with their parents. It's something that they get to share together. Yeah, that, you know, a good way. I hadn't really thought of it that way. Back in the day, back before Pokemon ever took over, I used to play a lot of Battletech or, or whatnot. And even before that, people did the Shadowrun, the D&D. And that's all it is, is calculating crit points and figuring out the best way to, to tank something. Oh, yeah. lack of a better phrase. Well, and with the card game, you know, we had a state champion at the age of five was she came in five years old, six months later, won the state championships. 
and before she had Pokemon, she was struggling with her reading and math in school. And then she started playing Pokemon and be like, oh, okay, 10 plus 20 does this. And she starts learning a lot easier. And it's been really, really great. That's the US, That's the reform plan right now for the U.S. educational system. Michelle Obama, are you listening? Just teach Pokemon. It teaches teach all Pokemon. the math skills you need. <laughs> all right. Well, Rob, thank you so much. We'll have your uh, links up in the show notes again. Check it out. Utah Pokemon Podcast. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks again. Thank you. So you can find me on Facebook. Yeah, all right. We're here with Trekkie Jill here. Uh, Trekkie Jill is actually uh, the non de plume of a, a friend of the show here who is actually going to be on the air with us soon, we expect. Yes, as soon as, <laughs> as soon as I get a decent enough computer to be able to run the software, but that's another story. So, yeah, uh, along with uh, TARDIS Captain Carl. Stark. Stark. The stolen droids listeners. Okay. Um, Along with uh, Stark, we are going to do a spin-off Stolen, Dro- Stolen Droids podcast based around Starfleet Academy. And it will be uh, Captain Stark, myself, um, and then a couple of others. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, we, we've talked about this briefly in other shows, but we really hope to have a more Star Trek-themed show coming out. Starfleet Academy, a really kind of novel way of approaching, uh, of getting fans involved. I mean... You listeners, we love you, but you don't interact with us much. It hurts our feelings. Well, one of the neat things that we want to do is to have a little bit more interaction. We are actually going to be able to do Starfleet Academy graduation. Each podcast will have a a series of five questions or so that uh, we will give a limited amount of time for you to be able to answer. And then if you get so many questions right then you will earn credits towards your graduation and if you earn so many you get an associate's and then a bachelor's uh, uh, you know now that, that of course not the, uh, the the final idea we might be giving rank I think it might be cool to have like a cadet rank to it we're still in the uh, setting up stage we're still uh, in the startup period so that could change yeah. so it could be rank um, and, you know, maybe maybe the first bit will be an ensign, then lieutenant, junior grade, and so on. And you might even manage to make captain. So, part of the things, we would also like to interview celebrities as well. But uh, we would have real-life um, topics such as how to survive at a convention, for example. Or how, when you're volunteering at a special event and you meet a star for the first time, you might be all excited and geeky just like the rest of us, but there are certain protocols that you need to follow. And, you know, they're so people too. Exactly. Um, just realize that these stars are real people with awesome jobs. And that's really the, you know, they're human just like you, me, and the next guy, um, you know, and, and have personal issues too. So, I mean, there's real-life stuff, then there will be, of course, the trivia stuff, things based around an episode, or maybe per- uh, perhaps around a specific actor. For example, uh, the one that came up was Benedict Cumberbatch, since he played Khan in uh, Star Trek Into Darkness, using some things that he has done. For example, did you know that he was in Sherlock? Oh, yes. We, we talk about Sherlock greatly. We love Sherlock. I hear that there's a third season. Coming out soon, yes. Uh, in fact, he teased it on uh, some things that might be happening on it in uh, Top Gear. Nice. an episode of Top Gear. So that was quite good. So, uh, we're, anyway, we're excited. Um, you know, Carl and I have been friends for 
many, many years, which number I'm not going to mention, but <laughs> we've been we've been friends for a long time, and in reality, I, I I lovingly blame him for most of my friendships. So it's because of him that that uh, I was introduced to a particular Star Trek club, and through that club that I've made most of my friendships. Yeah. Uh, Stark is around. He's over still at the Seventh Fleet, we think. He he was there at the Seventh Fleet last I saw. Yeah. As a matter of fact, he told me where your booth was because I couldn't remember. <laughs> All right, Trekkie Jill, thank you for coming by. Again, Trekkie Jill, can we find you on Twitter? Oh, that damn announcer. <laughs> yes. Thank you, we know. Thank you. Okay. And thank you, announcer, for shutting up. Okay. So, yes, you can find me both on Twitter and on Facebook as Trekkie Jill. Awesome. And we'll have links to that in the show notes as well. Thank you again so much. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. And hello. We are here with Ben Hansen from Sci-Fi's Factor Faked. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us You're for welcome. a few minutes, Thanks, ben. guys. Ah. So, it's, it's good to have you. Funny thing, a couple seconds ago, I just realized that I grew up with Ben. I know his family and uh, <laughs> talked to him all day yesterday and it never dawned on me. So congratulations know, like, uh, on your newfound fame. Or, well, thanks. We, uh, I guess we were a couple streets away growing up and now your booth is just right in front of me. Yeah, right across. So we're, <laughs> we're still in the same neighborhood. The more That's things right. change, huh? That's right. So, we've, been, we've been having fun watching your setup over there. You have the thermal cam. Yeah. Oh, man, that thermal camera just brings in so many people. It's so funny how many just want to see themselves on TV. This effect I have on it now kind of gives a zombie look. Mm-hmm. So it picks up the heat, but people come over, and they're just making faces in it and just taking pictures. It's just a camera. You know, it's a thermal camera. Well, it's funny because it's actually more sensitive than we thought. Originally, when you guys were setting it up, you had it, like, pointed at the ground, and people were walking oh, yeah, by, you and see you can the see the footprints. Yeah, the yep. residual footprints. It's crazy. You can see right now it's pointed kind of at your computer and everything, you know, so it's picking up all that heat. Uh, a couple crotches there, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's, uh, I was just in... Um, California in uh, a street fair where I lived down there and, and I set it up and as the night gets longer all the people um, that are left on the street are pretty much drunk yeah <laughs> right and they will not leave my booth they just sit there like look at us <laughs> you know, like okay okay it's time to go home yeah it's so a lot of fun. do you do you encounter that a lot as you go to these different events where people just want to hang out with you because yeah. dude you're on TV well you know, it, it's it's always good to come to, to to bring somebody to work the event with you. I, I do right now. I, I do one or two a month. Usually, I'm going out to places, and some are at casinos, and some are, you know, just here in Utah or in California. I always like to have someone else with me because it, it sucks the energy out of you. you it's know? exhausting like, to talk to people all day long. Is great. It's fun. I love meeting their stories, but um, it's great to have someone else there you know to kind of handle too and to force you to take a break yeah and like you need to rest <laughs> you know go go over to the green room and get something to eat and sit down and don't say a word yeah yeah that's that's awesome i wish we had a green room <laughs> we, we've got the press room uh, that's true but we haven't even gone in yet <laughs> day two and we haven't entered the press room yet all right well let's talk a bit about factor fake now how long has that been on the air i know i've, I've watched it it's, a little bit, it's on a little bit late for me. I'm going to sound like an old man well, here. Well, you know, they we've been in the 10 o'clock slot, the 9 o'clock slot. Um, 
It's it's been we've done three seasons, or they call it two point seven five, but it's really three seasons. Um, and uh, we started in two thousand and ten. Right now they're showing reruns, you know, and, and yeah. we're not certain if they're going to pick it up again, um, but that's okay. I mean, Sci-Fi's made some format changes. Just a couple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're, they're kind of back in, well, they've always done the B-movies, but they're not going to be doing the paranormal as they've done before. Mm. Um, so if that's the case, it's fine. I mean, we're going to make uh, bigger and better shows. We're, we're talking to several networks about other stuff. That's going to be a problem for all those ghost hunters. Yeah, well, you know that you'll, you'll start to see the, um, the different networks, all of them, kind of phasing out what they call the going green or the night investigations, uh-huh. just because the the market kind of got saturated. Slightly, yeah, you know? just a little bit. You had Ghost Hunter, Ghost Hunter International, Ghost Cops, Ghost Detectives, Ghost Lab, Ghost, ghost Dad, <laughs> yeah, Ghost Mal- Malibu Beach Fun Ghost. <laughs> That's right. There was more versions of that show than I think there were Spawn action figures. <laughs> yeah, probably. Probably. They've tried just about everything, and um, what what we really need is is not different people doing it, but we need different ways of doing it. And I think that's where our show really succeeds because um, we started out just trying to do something that wasn't go to a location, sit and wait. You know, because it, it's not just observation based. We took the evidence at hand, video and photo, and we said, okay, well. You know, what's the merit of the evidence? And if it's good enough, let's go out. Uh-huh. Now, what, where do you fall in terms of the spectrum of believer, non-believer when you go out on the majority of these? I know obviously you can't be a believer in everything, but do you go on stuff and you're like, wow, this is, this is hardcore. I, I am totally on with this. It, for me, it depends on the subject we're, we're talking about. I mean, because like with, with ghosts, for example, when I grew up, and, you know, we grew up in St. Mary. We yeah. hear the different local stories. And, you know, if you go to Ogden Cemetery, and you'll find this. You the, go the Green Mist, and, yeah. The, the big the farm museum above or the whatever. church. Yeah. <laughs> Everything had a story. And I was like, you know, Casper was the, the big thing of ghosts when I was little. I'm like, I was told ghosts are not real. Yeah. I always believe in life after death, but I was told ghosts are not real. And um, it was strange the first time I went up by the Capitol building in Salt Lake um, to Memory Grove. Uh-huh. That's where I did my first recording and captured a voice that wasn't there when we were there. And uh, the EVP was very clear. Um, and I was like, there's something to this. Uh-huh. And since that time, I have seen so much. I have experienced so much that I have no doubt there are spirits that just kind of tend to hang out in different locations. Um, same thing with UFOs. I had an open mind to it. Um, but since I was reading the books when I was a kid, I have now seen objects do incredible things. Uh-huh. And I, I can't tell you who's flying them, but I'd say there's a very good chance we've been visiting. Now, we need to back up just a little bit. If anyone is not familiar, Fact or Fake is a little bit unique in, in how it approaches these things. A lot of, There's a lot of paranormal shows out there, both on TV and on the web and a lot Fact or fake is a little bit different in that you go out and investigate reports, uh-huh. and you, I'm sorry, you probably get this a lot, and it's unfair to compare one show to another, but you almost mythbuster it, where if you can duplicate it or figure out how they did it, you can figure out if the video or if the report is faked. Yeah, well, you know, we didn't intend it to be like that. It, in fact, I don't think we even said the word, like, it's like mythbusters, but the news started saying that. The... Uh, you know, people reviewing the show, and it's like, wow, I guess we kind of are. And what 
the backlash that came with that though was we were so good or we are so good at um, replicating that uh, a lot of people will write us and be like well just because you were able to replicate doesn't mean that's how it was done and they're right it doesn't mean that that's how it is um, but we just don't have time in the show to show every little aspect of like uh, you know what it could be paranormally or some other explanation and so it's a little complex in that sense. I, I love it, though. I, I, I love the show. When I do get a chance to watch it, it's awesome. I remember specifically the first one I ever saw. It was that online video. It went viral. The girl in the night, you know, the green night vision. And all of a sudden, she's laying on her bed flat. Oh, yeah, And it's like yeah. something picks her up. And it's completely independent of her. She can, No human can lift herself that way. And actually yeah. hovered there and rotated a little bit. Yeah. And her friend is freaking out. And your team was able to try in all these different things, and none of it quite worked. You were never able to totally replicate, if I remember correctly. No, I think they did. I they think did they did. Um, they used some uh, stage wire, you know, like the stunt guys using cables, yeah. and they hung it from inside the, the room and, like, hoisted her up. And here's an interesting side note that nobody knows about. That case, um, I talked to uh, one of our guys who helps us with the special effects uh-huh. and setting up the experience at... Um, he told me, he didn't tell anyone I was there. Like, Why didn't you say something? He took a break and he was asking the homeowners if they had some bolts or something, right? Like, yeah, just go in the garage and help yourself. <laughs> so he goes in the garage and he finds the full harness, it looks like, of like the wires and cables that, that they probably could use to hoist this person into the rafters before the house We have some really convenient ones. It's with the fake ghost set. You'll love it. It's always custom built for this. It's so hilarious. (laughs) But I love it because, you know, especially, you know, uh, today's internet culture, everyone looks at every video and everything, and it may be a completely legitimate video. It could be of anything. There's always going to be the, oh, they faked that. That was cables. Well, then try it. Let's see how it looks with cables. Oh, they Mm -hmm. just, I know how they did that. That was just, well, then try it. That's, it, that's you know? the irony is that any if you're talking Bigfoot, you're talking UFOs, whatever. The, the most cases I found that are most probably legitimate are not going to be very well shot. They're going to be blurry. They're going to be shaky. You can go outside and, and look at an airplane in the sky and try to film it at night. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be completely focused. The problem is when people do come up with a, a very clean, clear uh, shot like you want to see, then no, it's too good. Yeah. yeah. You know, then that can't be what it is. Well, people really underestimate the human eye. How fast we can capture motion, how quickly we can focus, how much we can see and how much depth we get. You take a picture of something in the night, it isn't going to look the same as how you saw it. It's no. going to look a little blurry. You're probably panicking. And as good as cameras are, and everyone has cell phone cameras now, and they're, you know, really high def and whatever, as good as it is, it's not... It still has a ways to go. Yeah. Cameras are not perfect. And I talk about that all the time in my lectures. And um, to film something at night, uh, to have any information to analyze, you really have to get into night vision and spend some money. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was kind of bugged by that. Because, you know, I want people to be able to go out and just film whatever. And so I started uh, repping for Bushnell, actually, oh. for their night vision company. And that's what this is over at my booth you know, selling this stuff and be like, because there are people who are very serious about it and they're seeing things in the sky all the time or ghost hunting and they want it captured on film, you know, and uh, the, the consumer, you know, one $200 stuff usually doesn't cut it. 
Right, right. Uh, nothing on a stolen droid's budget, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, has there has there been one episode or one case that's just your absolute favorite? Either either that was debunked or that was left open. That was just absolutely uncanny or your best. I've got a lot of favorites. Um, I've got favorite ghost cases. I've got favorite UFOs. The one that kind of still sticks with me is the the lady in the UK who. Um, felt like she had a very surreal experience at night. She was very afraid. It was kind of an abduction type of scenario. So she asked her husband, um, who ironically, I know it sounds fishy, he, he owned a DVR company, right? Or a dealership. If he could set up a DVR and film at night. And, and believe me, we, we thought, okay, right, you're into DVRs. He could probably have faked this, but you know, honestly, it's the people themselves that were so credible when we interviewed them. When they set this thing up, she woke up one morning and felt like um, something had happened. She reviewed the tape, and there are 13 minutes where it looks like she dissolves into the mattress. The sheets of her form dissolve. 13 minutes later, it looks like they reform and she's embedded. We had it analyzed by experts at JPL, you know, who do NASA's footage and stuff, and they didn't find signs of manipulation. Oh yeah, but you know they faked all that moon landing stuff too. <laughs> and this is, and, and of course I'm I'm laughing at those guys because I think they're idiots. But unfortunately, you're never going to be able to convince people of anything who don't want to be convinced. But that's really yeah. cool to come across a case like that. That conspiracy is a big thing right now, and uh, uh, I have my a few conspiracies of my own that I think are plausible. But there are some people you talk to that everything is a conspiracy. Speaking of, we, we have a gentleman walking past your table over there wearing the Taps shirt. Uh, <laughs> Kevin Kevin Sorbo walking by. I think it's actually <laughs> just right around the corner here. Are we like an information booth now? Apparently so. Apparently so. But hey, if Kevin where, Sorbo's people are where asking they shrink me what? what was that? I think there's like a miniature company or something. Oh, then they make little figures of you? Yeah, I think oh, so. Oh, that would be cool. I'd like to be miniaturized. I can't fit into cars as is. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're too tall. No one believes I'm Japanese. <laughs> I'm just too big. A name like Zook. I mean... <laughs> Very cool. Well, so what? do you have any upcoming projects? Anything new happening? New well, um, you know, we're not going to wait around to see if, if Factor Fake uh, you know, uh, is, is renewed. So we, we have a few shows out there in front of networks. Um, I'm always at events. We're doing um, stuff here in Utah. We did an investigation at Fear Factory last night. We're doing another one on Monday. Mm-hmm. And um, I've, I've got, and I don't even know, <laughs> I'm having my website redone at benhanson.com. So it should be launched in the next couple days. If anyone's interested where I'm going to be, that's where to go. Very cool. All right. Well, thank you so much yeah, for coming on. I really appreciate it. Appreciate You're welcome. It. How close do I need to be? Yeah, that's good, actually, right, right there. Okay. All right, I am on now with uh, Dan Schaefer. Dan Schaefer is uh, probably one of the coolest jobs of anyone we've interviewed here, actually. Okay. You are an artist for the hit TV series Grimm. Yes, I am. Now, for those of us not in the know, what does a storyboard artist do for a TV show? Well, basically, I work with the director by uh, translating his ideas into images, his or her image ideas into images and then uh, um, I include uh, information that's necessary for the camera crew and the lighting crew and uh, everyone to uh, set up the shot. 
So that old idea of a picture's worth a thousand words, it's a lot easier for the camera crew, for set, for everyone else to yeah, know. Yeah, and, and it helps It helps the director figure out how he's going to frame the shot and how he wants to, um, you know, uh, stage the actors and, and all, you know, everything that you see in front of the camera. It helps the art department, too. Now, are there any special challenges with a show like Grimm, where, you, where you're going from the really kind of macabre or the, the kind of really creepy into the rest of Portland with the, with the, the city and the structures, trying to merge well, you know, the two ideas? The first thing they do is they, they incorporate the cities and street, the city and, and street as it is. Um, uh, the street names are the same. They don't change anything. So it happens in the Portland that I know. Um, so locals could go, oh, that werewolf, that, uh, that, that, their werewolf killing actually just happened down the street from me. Yeah, exactly. The blue blots are all charging up down the street. Yeah, and as far as, you know, special difficulties, I don't know. It's, um, you know, working with uh, all the directors on the show, they're all great. They all have uh, lots of experience on uh, procedural shows like NYPD Blue and, and House uh, and so on. So uh, they have, you know, the most experienced crew that you could get. Now, a storyboard artist's job is probably, I would think, one of the most important in the production, actually. I mean, short of, of cast and, and the director who, without the show, there's no show. But otherwise, it's almost up to a director to shoot the scene, go, no, I don't really like it this way, let's do it this way, shoot another scene, which gets really expensive and yeah, really it, old it is, fast. it is there to uh, save costs by, you know... I, we can go through it, and, and I can do different versions of boards and do revisions and bring it to the point where the director is happy with the way the flow of the scene is going. And it also helps with uh, special effects later on. We can do boards that go directly to the special effects people that can then uh, add CG and, and so on to the uh, uh, to the scenes. Very cool. Now, have you been on Grimm since it's the very beginning? Yeah, or? since season one. Awesome. Uh, you wouldn't happen to know of anything that might be coming up in the upcoming season, would you? Because well, a have, lot of us are on pins and needles. I have to say that the first episode is the most exciting episode I've ever worked on. Really? That, there's just non-stop action. Wow. So everyone's going to love it. I am excited. Now, Grimm is coming back when? Uh, September 25th. So very, very, very soon. Yes. So our listeners who are fans can, can get their hooks back into that soon. And if they want to uh, hear more about my work, they can uh, pick up a copy of Grimm Magazine, Issue 2, on the stands, uh, you know, soon, this, this month sometime. Excellent. Okay, so Grimm Magazine, Issue number 2. Dan Schaefer, thank you so much for coming by. We appreciate it. You're very welcome. All right, we are on with uh, some friends of ours, Russ and Jess from Sapa. Now, yes. how are you guys doing? We're doing great. Now, what is Sapa for those of us who Sa- don't know? Sapa is Spiritual and Paranormal Assistance. It's a, it's a paranormal team basically focused on more of the spiritual side, the residentials, the businesses, rather than more than the tours and the investigations. So it's more for the client based and the house cleansing and that type of stuff. Very cool. Now you guys just go around the Salt Lake area here or up and down We'll go wherever road. we need to go. Well, nice. As long as we can afford to. <laughs> we always do it at no charge. It's on our dime. What's the farthest you've gone? Um, wow, personal questions are on uh, For residentials, we've been what, way out Draper area. We've okay. been up as far north as Ogden. Um, so not like New York? Or... Well, for investigations, we've gone further. But, I would like uh, an investigation in New York. So we would like to fly me out there 
I'll come investigate your house. We've been, we've been begging people to pay for us to go places for years. Nobody nobody wants to yet. So. We were invited to Vegas. We had to pay. Of course. <laughs> now, now, do you post these online? I mean, where can find can people find records of your of your investigations? Um, we don't have anything Cleansings. on the website yet. Cleansings. Well, because it is because it is more of a. Client confidentiality. Right. I think we will be doing some public tours that we can invite the public out with, putting up some of our evidence and stuff like that. Right now, there isn't any websites new. It's utahsapa.com. Okay. Yeah, um, I, I guess I hadn't really considered that. I, people call you in because they want something investigated. They probably don't want that then blasted all over the internet. So, would you say you guys are Ghostbusters? I've never busted a ghost in my life. Leave the reach there, those on. Well, we tried. <laughs> we are Comic Con. I, I just can't afford the proton pack. Yeah, that would be awesome. They are pricey. And, and the traps, the last time I touched a trap, I got pinched and it really hurt and cut my arm. So, yeah, I, I'm not real a big fan of the trap. So, have you guys ever gone out on something and you're just like, no, we're, we're going. This is too much. No, we have not had that situation. Um, we are we are affiliated with other teams in the area, so if there's a big paranormal unity base to it. And so if there's something that we don't feel like we can handle, we call on another team or other people that are more adept at this than us. Okay. Um, or we've been called in where we've actually assisted other teams because they couldn't handle We've also been doing this quite a while. I mean, the team is fairly new. It's only... But- only been launched a couple of weeks ago. Our members have been investigating together for years. Okay. So cool. we're all pretty experienced. And so, so what do you do on a, a typical call? You get called to go out and visit a location. Walk us through the steps of um, what you do. A fresh, a fresh investigation that we haven't been, no, don't know anything about. We will generally go out and we'll first thing we'll do is try to find a physical reason why they're having the activity they're having, whether it's the house is poorly grounded. Or they're hearing voices and it's something coming from next door. Or just something physical that could be causing it that is not paranormal. If it is paranormal, then at that point we will try to find out what we need to do to satisfy the spirit. If we can satisfy the spirit, spirit moves on, then that's a win-win situation. We don't need to worry about helping the living client because we've already remedied the situation. Okay. Whereas, if we run into something that doesn't want to move on, we have to create a cohesive environment with the living person so that they can live in, you know, if the, if the living resident doesn't mind it being there, as long as it behaves, then we have to make sure the ground rules are understood. Okay. So that we can create a friendly environment for that spirit to stay there until it's ready to move on to the state. Okay. Whatever your belief system says it is. So how would how would you go about getting the spirit satisfied? It depends, it depends on what they want. I, I understand a variety of things could come into play. Like what? Give us some examples. But to find out why the spirit is still there. Okay. Find out what happened to the spirit. Why? It is still earthbound. What, okay. What's causing it to remain earthbound instead of moving along the, the course, the desired course that everybody needs to go on? Why is it confused? Why is it focused to, to remain here? 
because that's not that's not the ultimate design. Okay. So once you find out why it's here, then you can counsel it, be, be the bartender to counsel with the spirits and help them out. Okay, cool. Unfortunately, you say the word like satisfied. I'm like, the smart ass in me wants to offer a Snickers bar or something. <laughs> Take a Snickers and just go. Just go. You're right. This is penalicious. I'll go. Yeah. Have you ever had like a worst case scenario where you've had to call someone else in and they weren't able to work it out either and the people who lived there couldn't keep living there? Or No. Because, because we have, if it's beyond what we can do, we have resources of people who can handle what we can. What, what types of resources? Are we, religious resources? Um, Technology or just manpower sometimes? We, okay. Yeah, we basically try to go according to the belief systems of the, the resident, the living resident. Okay. So you follow it according to their religion or be friends or whatever. But we have a friend that's in state that is very adept at this. She's been doing this for decades. And she's friends with a lot of people across country. If it's beyond what she can handle, she gets on the phone and they fly in. Sorry, I'm hitting the table. <laughs> oh, no, you're fine. My, my screensaver's also kicking off. Oh, so. So, so if it's beyond what she can handle alone, because she can handle it, but if she can't handle it alone, she has her resources that she can pull in from out of state. And by that I mean the level of John Zappas, Bill Bean, and I'm sure, I don't know if these names mean anything to you or whatnot. Um, they're, they're, the, they're the main people in the paranormal field. Very cool. Good connections so, to have. Yes. So uh, we feel very confident in going in that if we can't handle it, we know who to call. Very good. Now, so, if, if someone is in their home and they don't know, it's like, is this something I should look into? Am I being paranoid? What are some signs that people may not immediately know to look for that, okay, maybe there's something else here and I need to call someone in? Um, I would say first thing is check the grounding of the house. That's that's probably the first thing. We have meters that we can go in and measure the, the electromagnetic field inside the house to see if it's something that's just... They're, they're living in a huge electromagnetic field. And thought is electrical energy, and so when you're in that kind of half-awake state, that can affect your thought processes and make you think that there are things happening that really are. So that's a, that's a first good step. The, other, the next step is if... You feel like things are happening, start to keep a diary. What happened? What time was it? Start to see if there's a pattern. Um, you know, con contact somebody you're comfortable with to come in. There's a lot of teams, you know, in the northern Utah area. Now, when you say uh, that check if the house is grounded, I have to actually tell a personal story here. I thought for the longest time that my great uncle's house up and down was haunted because whenever I walked into the basement, I could hear breathing. Like clear as day, loud, labored breathing. No one was ever down there. Even if the house is totally empty, every room I went to, someone was breathing right over my shoulder. It scared the crap out of me as a little kid until I finally learned what it was. They brought an electrician in. The house wasn't properly grounded. And for whatever reason, in the basement, if you had a stereo on, it would pick up the natural frequency of the house and it would manifest as white noise breathing. And it was the creepiest damn thing ever. But as soon as they fixed it, yeah, it went but, away. <laughs> so, you know, it may not be a paranormal thing. And that's what we try to do first. We try to create a physical 
reason for, for the interactions to be happening. See, and I like that approach to investigation, too, because you do, unfortunately, get the people who are just, no, no, it's nothing, it's just this, and they explain away everything. But then you have the flip side of that, where, oh, yes, your faucet's been dripping. Well, obviously, this is a very angry spirit who was violently drowned here in this, you know, sink. And they just go entirely to the other in, side. In the sink like, that you bought from Home Depot two years ago. Exactly. So, okay, yeah, tell me more. Really? Okay, uh-huh, get out. So I like this kind of rational approach that, you know, there's physical things, but there's also the paranormal things, and both can be dealt with. Right. So there, There's a solution, and what we try to do is make it so that the owners can take back ownership of the house. They're the ones that have authority of the house. It, it mostly falls back on them, but they got to know what to do. Excellent. Now, again, we can find you at utahsappa.com. Excellent. Russ, Jess, thank you guys so much. Hope you guys have fun here. And hello, we are back live from Salt Lake Comic Con. Well, recorded actually, but we are alive, barely. Uh, <laughs> barely be the keyword. We're here with the guys from Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Uh, guys, why don't you take a moment and introduce yourselves? Well, I'm Chris, the intern. He's the intern. That pretty much says everything. So, uh, I'm Revan uh, with Dungeon Crawlers <laughs> Radio. I am the host, the producer, the engineer, and pretty much everything else. And then they just show up to do the show. Don't you love That's that? I do. It's like the bird. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. He does the website. Okay. I used to do the website. He's, the, he's your code monkey? Yes. Okay, cool. I no longer do that. Yeah, we just jazzed about being on the show. Yeah. <laughs> so, so are we on stolen droids or are we on dungeon crawlers at the moment? Um, this could be both. How about we say... It's a crossover. Yeah, it's an amalgamation of both. It's amalgam. It, it's stolen dungeons, crawling androids, something like that. On radio. Now, by the law of comics, we first must battle to see, you know, for fan service, and then we team up against an alien force. That is awesome, because I do know how to sword fight. We're screwed. And I took martial arts. We're very screwed. <laughs> Dad runs a dojo. What the heck? I'm the dishonorable Japanese son. That's how it works. <laughs> so, well, got okay. something to fight with. So, you've at least got... <laughs> One fighter on your team. <laughs> I have concealed carry permit. A lot of firearms. All right. I, I, I'm the I'm the punisher of the group. I guess. Very good. Well, very good. So you're useless at ten feet. <laughs> In so many ways. Yeah. <laughs> so how's the con going for you guys? Uh, um, well, I think we've joined the undead. Makes sense. Yes. yes because I think we all have. Yes. No. Cons are great. They're amazing. You make great connections. You meet great people. But, but they by the you. end, you want to go home, you want to sleep yes. in your bed, and then disappear for two months. Yeah. And there's no going home early today unless you don't want back in the building. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the, you know, you can't sleep in for two months or do anything because, well... I'm sure, like you, and not me. Most of us have day jobs, even though this is awesome. Yeah, we don't make money of this. No, yeah, we make enough to get by. I know. Isn't it great? You know, if we could get credit for being amazing and doing a show, yeah, we could be millionaires. What's really funny? Probably. Is, well, you mentioned we've joined the, the the shambling Walking Dead, the Undead here. We actually just heard that at one point they went seven thousand over capacity. Yeah. Uh, and at which point I think we know when that was because everything here ground to a dead stop, and everyone literally was doing the shuffle from Shaun of the Dead. Oh yeah, <laughs> they were kind of moving from foot to foot, not moving. We went. Yeah, we went to a panel and we're up. 
up on the, the second floor looking in, and it is funny looking at the people walking because, you know, yesterday, Thursday, you know, you, you could see some traffic moving. It's like a head just moves a centimeter, and they stop, and wait. Moves a centimeter, stops, and wait. So it's crazy. Yeah. Definitely you need to hear the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Uh. <laughs> I keep seeing Sean's walking around. They tell him he's got some red on his shirt. Yeah. Doesn't seem to care. I don't know. I've actually have been interested to see if we can get a Harlem Shake going here. I know it's a little bit past its prime, but you get 55,000 people doing it at once. Well, if you're going to go Harlem Shake, you might as well also throw out, you know, Gingham style, too. And a truffle shuffle. Yeah. That requires a little bit more room. And suddenly we have the next earthquake. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, there's so many people here. The building's not designed for this many people. we got the insulation falling off the ceiling on us. I've noticed. It's like all it's over like the place. We're yeah. snowing. I so, hope it's not asbestos. I bet it is. That or someone has really bad dandruff. Well, yes. That actually was our first thought. And it yeah. was like, oh, why is it coming out of my hair? Yeah. This is new. <laughs> yeah. I thought I conditioned Yes. Was everyone walking past it's the dandruff? No, no, we do have some crossover here in yes. our topics, but we've taken some two very different approaches. We are stationary at the base of operations. Yes. You guys have been pretty free to capture what you won. I mean, how's that been going for you? It's, it's, it's been, been awesome. amazing. And the reason why we've done the stationary, it's great, but then you can't get to, like, the celebrities. Yeah. Yes. Because you're stuck here. Especially when everyone starts packing in, because literally you're trapped now by a wall of humans. But the nice uh, thing about being behind a booth is that you're you're sitting down. Yeah, you are sitting down. We're, we are also protected from the wall of humans. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, but moving around, it is great because you know you can make connections. You can talk to people. Uh, you get to meet the celebrities. You do have to occasionally stand next to someone that has needed a bath for the last three days. Yeah. Um, He's talking about me. No, no, I was just kidding. Uh, <laughs> But it is fun, but it also has its challenges because, you know, there are a lot of times where you miss things, you miss events because you're moving around, something may happen on one side, but you're on the other. Um, but you miss it when you're stationary anyway. Yeah, so. I mean, so it's kind of it's kind of a toss and turn. Yeah, like go. we missed a demonstration by Trey, uh, by Ray Park. Yeah. No, I, yeah, that would have been awesome to see. Yeah. Okay, well, so what, what kind of, a, what's your next huge thing on the next episode of Dungeon Crawlers? I mean, what have you been able to get from this con? much been able to get interviews with all the celebrities here except for Dean Cain, William Shatner, and DeLucy, uh, Delancey. John Delancey, and Stan Lee. DeLucy, the Sorry. intern. Yeah, See, from the intern. This is why he's the intern. From the mouth of babes. I meant Delancey, I'm sorry. You know, this is the best part. So he sat down to, to interview Dwight Schultz. You sat down? I had to stand. He let me sit yeah, down next sit down. to him. So wow. he's like, I will only continue this interview if you can get my name right. <laughs> and so he gets it half right. You know? Oh, no, he says that after I forget his name yes. and only say Schultz. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's like, since he got it half, we'll do a half of an interview. <laughs> so he's like, so he was cool about it, but it's kind, of, you know, it's kind of been the theme with our intern. That's why he's the intern. Yes. I hope you don't pay him a lot. No, he, he gets paid in monkeys and... I get paid in monkeys? Yes. That's an awesome payment system. Yeah, it could actually turn out to be very expensive. I think it's somewhere in one of the rules of acquisition. My monkeys is more expensive Monkeys are great because you have to wait for them to be shipped here, and that gets delayed. They get hung up in customs. Yeah. Quarantine. But he's still working. You've got to make sure you're not bringing in any outbreak monkeys. Exactly. This one has a Dustin Hoffman attached. 
<laughs> that would be cool. I wouldn't complain. That's his Christmas bonus. Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> nice. I'll just interview him instead and then send him on his way. I don't think go. I could keep Get his him. name half right. You know, I mean, it has been really cool. Your name uh, is Dusty, right? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you guys have been to other cons in Salt Lake, but none of them are like this. No, they're not. Most of them are boring. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you want to sit at a, at a booth. You don't want to go anywhere because literally there it's in a single hallway and you're lucky if you can find anyone interesting yeah um, that's, that's really true yeah. which is I think that's why people were so excited when they started announcing what Comic Con here was going to be yeah it, it, we're geeks we need we need love true love too yeah no and we do they were hungry for a convention yes. well it is very you know, I know some I know some of the past conventions wanted to become this but they did not have the budget these guys have well and I don't I don't think it was much of a really a budget you know I jumped on this on board with this uh, back in November you know when it first was a kind of a, a an idea mm-hmm. um, you know they're thinking hey we'll be lucky if we had 10,000 yeah well they've now packed the salt palace and had to close the doors there's a giant line down the street they had to and around 7,000 people out yeah they've had top so we, we were just told by someone that someone like tried to pull like Notions 11 and barrel through the door Oh, wow. got tackled to the ground by cops and dragged off. That is awesome. There was blood involved. Even better. And probably some alcohol. Yes, I would have loved to have seen it. You know, the only, have the only thing that would have been better is if when they tackled them, a bunch of poker chips went flying into the sky. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, you know, and what's really great, in this, this crowd, everyone would have gotten the reference. Yeah, see, that's kind of the nice thing is, you know, everyone's here, you can be dressed up, you can be wearing your geek shirt, and everyone's cool about it. Yeah. You know, and, and I know the culture's kind of changed towards that, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, Growing up in high school, if you would have shown up in like a Superman shirt or a Green Lantern you shirt, you were that guy. You were that guy. I was that guy. Yeah. So was I. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of weird because hey, you know, I'm the I'm the geek. I was that. I have a kid playing high school football now, and it's really odd because I was like shunned by that group. Yeah. And my kid is that now. But at the same time... Does he beat on you? I mean... No, no, no. <laughs> but, no, everyone thinks he's really cool because, you know, he's high school football. He's on the dance team. He can recite the Green Lantern Oath. It, you know, word for word. And he got bored yesterday and translated it into Spanish. He said, hey, Dad, look at this. Well, a lot of shirts, you know, I remember back when I was in high school, if you wanted a cool shirt like this, uh, you know, a geek shirt or an yeah. obscure shirt, you had to go to, like, Hot Topic. Oh, yeah. You had to be seen at Hot Topic uh-huh. an exorbitant amount. Internet wasn't really big then, no. so you couldn't do that. And now people are walking around, oh, yeah, Walmart. This was great. It was on sale at Walmart. Yeah. Well, I mean, Internet, that was, yeah. She's like, you hit, you hit connect, <laughs> you'd have to wait about five minutes before you finally, hopefully, got on. And then it was like 10 minutes just to download the picture so you could see what you were looking at. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, you know, talking about how the culture's changed, though, we went and saw a midnight showing of the Avengers. We did our show, then we went and we go see that, and it was full of bros. And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't want to be part of these midnight showings because these are the guys that used to beat me up. Oh, yeah. And one of them stands up after the show, sees Thanos, that's Red Skull. I wanted to kick him in the head. Dude, shut up and but go back to a game. But he would have kicked my butt. Oh, yeah. I'm 20 years older than him, and he would have kicked my butt still. Yeah. 
So yeah, I have I I don't like that our culture's been co-opted like it has. Yeah. But it does make it easier on us. It does. So you know, and we can do a show like this, have fun, and people listen to it. I yes. Mean, and, and that's the cool part, you know, when you're out and about and they're like, I know you. I listen to your show all the time. And you're like. And who are you? Football guy? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had somebody ask us last night for an autograph. Yeah. What the crap? Yeah, I've had that happen. They, it, they may have been lost and confused. We're not sure. No, Hydration I, does weird The very things. first time <laughs> someone asked me to do that, because, you know, we were hand, we had stickers. We were handing them, like, can you sign this? I'm like, okay, sure. You know, I, I've had authors on it. Like, Dude, can you sign my book? You know, I've never had someone ask me to sign a sticker. It was weird. Yeah. But, yeah. It, you know, that's kind of when you know you're doing something right, though. That's when you become a first-rate podcast. We're only the second-rate still. We're leveling up. <laughs> okay, well, you're almost there. We have to grind, kill a few more sheep, leather them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, see, the best part, if you can level up fast if you stick dynamite in the sheep <laughs> and then light them. <laughs> Power leveling tips. Yeah, now, now, PETA might come after when you. When you just don't have time to dick around. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, that was that was one of my favorite things I always throw into a role-playing game. Our gnomes are so crazy, they blow up sheep. Oh, yeah. You know, my players would come in and go, what the crap? But it's like, okay. And everyone knows you can do that just by clicking on them repeatedly. Exactly. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Enough times they, they blow up. So. so what's your highlight of the con here? Well, I, I know his was talking to It wasn't Mahal. my... That wasn't my highlight. Oh, was it? Okay, was that a low light? Oh, no. That was going to be a highlight, and then I talked to him. Oh, okay. I, my, I, have, I have two. One was actually, you know, meeting Henry Winkler. Uh-huh. You know, I, I watched Happy Days growing up. Yeah. Uh, I've seen him on everything, you know. I just watched him, and here comes the boom. And, you know, it's always been, what, you, what is he like? Because you see him as kind of that fun, nice, friendly guy. He is amazing. He really is. I mean, I was over there. He would get up from the table, walk down, shake every person's hand, and say, what's your name? How are you doing? Thank you for coming. That's amazing. You know, yeah. A lot yeah. of these guys, they're like, what's your name? And they write them, thanks for coming. And that's it. And it's like, okay, whatever. Yeah, I was over there watching him, just kind of hanging out. Uh, gotta love a press pass. Yes. And he not once went behind the table. Yeah. He was out there. I saw him make multiple passes through the line. Just the nicest guy. Nicest yeah. guy. So. so that was the highlight. And then, of course, um, you know, I got to uh, talk with Dirk Benedict, which, you know, that we went up to him. He's like, we're not doing, I'm not doing press. But he and, did it nicely. Yeah, and he did it nicely. You know, a lot of these people haven't been that genial. But then we sit down, you know, after he shut us away, he asked us to come back. And then he talked, I mean, he just went at it, talking with us. And it was not like, and then I was Starbucks. It was a nice conversation, like two guys just sitting at a coffee table. So that was that was kind of my highlight. That's I'd cool. say that was mine, too, honestly, because it was a really good interview. Yeah, that's cool. We, I don't know that we've had quote-unquote good interview just because we don't have the good equipment. But, <laughs> you know, it's been, talking with those guys, they're all gentlemen. Yeah. Dean Kane, I can't figure out. I haven't but been able to talk to him. Have you guys? No, they won't let you anywhere near yeah. Dean yeah. Kane currently has no less than five of the volunteer staff wow. blocking off the area, rebuffing people. Well, I know, I know, I know William Shatner has a giant curtain surrounding him, and then they take you in to sign, and then bring you out. I actually asked if that's what they were doing. He said, no, they're going to be at their table. People will oh. be able to see him. 
but they don't want a large crowd gathering oh, for obvious okay. reasons. So a large crowd here would be... Yeah, I mean, I understand he's, he's a big name, big draw, same as Stan Lee. But, uh, yeah, it would be nice to meet him. I mean, yeah, that, that would be a huge, that, that would probably bump well, my There's a lot of the big names, but what I've also appreciated is some of the smaller ones, too. Oh, yeah, and they've been really nice and courteous. Kevin Murphy from Mr. Science Theater 3000, yeah. oh, my gosh. Even, even when he walks up and you can tell he's tired, he is still entertaining you. He's like, he was doing jokes while he's walking up there. And then uh, John Ease, the guy who designed the, uh, the, the Enterprise E. Oh man, he is good a gentleman to talk to. Which, I, still uh, need to I still need to take Zoom. Which will be handy because I owe him an apology. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think the very most popular posts on our site still years later is my five-part series on why Star Trek ships, Star Trek ships are wrong. You know, have you seen the new Attack Wing game? No. So you, you've seen the X-Wing game that Fantasy yeah. Flight put out. So uh, Kizwitz put out a game just like it, same rules, everything, but it's called Attack Wing, and it's Star Trek. Okay. Now, my only complaint is, is you got the Enterprise D. You know, it comes in the set with your Klingon cruisers, and you have to buy for $15 separately the you know the original Enterprise before they put letters on it, and it's like microscopic. I have to use a pair of tweezers to break, take it out of the box. And I'm just like, is it really that big of a difference? It's $15 worth of a difference, I know. apparently. I pay $15 bucks and I get a nice big X-Wing fighter, and the Enterprise is still smaller than my X-Wing fighter. It makes no sense to me. The original Enterprise was supposed to be about the same size as the work was sell on the Enterprise D. Oh. That's the lengthwise. Well, see, I'm not a Trekkie, so I wouldn't know that. that my, my card says Trekknologist. Yes, so. well, that's awesome, um, because I can tell you everything about Star Wars. Oh, yeah. Great. That's what you're saying. Right there. Yes. <laughs> and the high five. Yeah, high five right over the mic. Makes great that's radio. awesome! <laughs> Total professionals left that, and right. That's here. why I hesitated, but I thought above we're good, around here now so much. <laughs> All right, now so for our listeners, where can where can they find you? So DungeonCrawlersRadio.com is our website. Excellent. We'll have um, it in the show notes as well. It is kind of it is transition going we're through a facelift. Yes. So um, body enhancement. We do a live show every every night no, every Monday. Yeah. It's, it's that time of the day. Yes, it Every is. Monday. Chat room while the live show's going on? Oh, yeah. You know, we have Facebook. We do have a chat room built into our studio. We also have email going on. Um, and a live number to call in. Yeah, a live number to call in. People talk to us. Now, we can accept up to 50 call-ins. It's awesome. Now, now, listeners, don't get too excited. Remember us. You love us. Yes. <laughs> we don't have those nice, pretty things. Even though we have that, still share the love with these guys. I mean, they're really nice to us. So. I'll, I'll be honest. There is enough room for everyone to play in this pond. That, that's what we like to tell other podcasters, yeah. too. It's like, you know, all you get is, like, word of mouth. No one knows a different podcast until you're told yeah. about it. So. You know, first starting out, you know, there were some, some podcasts when I started out, and they were like, it was like, you're on, you're in the same building, I'm I'm going to snipe this guy, I'm going to snipe that, I'm going to talk dirty, we're not, it's like, really? We're all, we're all geeks, we're all in the same pond, why not? So, I mean, that's kind of our mental. Yeah, there, there's one other show, a local show, we won't mention that show. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know who it is, we can talk about that on there. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of that mentality, we were actually going to have one of them on air. Yeah. yeah, until it turned out that no. No, I don't 
don't think we will. No, I mean, we've been around long enough. You know, we've kind of hit our stride, but, you know, that's really the best way to succeed is we help you, you help us, we help them, and everything works together. When we started doing that, that's where our success came in. Well, thank you guys so much for being out there. We appreciate yeah, no it. A couple of awesome guys. Yes. And I find it funny that uh, your intern is on the air, but your other guys is hovering around with Schmitty. Well, he's the tech. tech. Oh. They're not important. See, and he's, not, the, he's not talent. See, huh? this is the best part. And I'm going to say this because I was dead tired yesterday. <laughs> Our tech is my brother. And I called him something completely different. I said, I introduced him as Jeremy, not even his name. That's horrible of me. I mean, but that's how tired this, these things get you. The, the, the drugs we gave you yesterday morning may have contributed to that as yes, well. Yes, the so. ginseng did help. <laughs> All right. Well, guys, thank you so much. Again, we can find them at uh, DungeonQuestRadio.com. DungeonCrawlersRadio.com. They crawl, all right? Okay. We do crawl. <laughs> but I, I thought I'd be the one to screw it up. I got okay. half the name right. You did. We are, we are professional. <laughs> Is that why we're only doing half an interview? So, so with that, you level up half a point. <laughs> all right. <laughs>